Right, uh, let's go to Mexico, having heard the tune. And, the the uh, whole tune, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much the whole tune, at a slightly lower level, and me talking all over it. But uh, it's time now it's like to... like kiss. <laughs> yes, it is a bit. No. Uh, it's time to go to Campeche in uh, Mexico and say a very good evening to uh, John Bonfilio. Uh, John, very good evening to you. Good evening, Martin. Interesting what you're saying about Long John Baldry, because continuing the chat about your international audience, and mm. there are quite a few people in, in Mexico I know who, who listen to, including some musicians who've been messaging me, asking if they can do a live rendition of uh, Long John Baldry's Mexico at some point in the future to open this segment of the show. We'll yes, definitely do it any time. Just, <laughs> just let us know. Uh, we'll, you know, and uh, set it up with, oh, that'd be great. Our very own mariachi band on the show. <laughs> yeah, a, little, a, little, a little orchestra set up, maybe in the yeah. small room that I'm calling you from, and we'll see how, see how that works out. Well, that'd be so good. Now, um, just before we go into the sort of more serious stuff, um, you're at uh, an international uh, pelota tournament, or at least you've been to an international pelota tournament, um, a Mayan ball game, and uh, I'm watching the video of this. And I'm familiar with pelota from visits to the Basque country in Spain, where it's played quite a lot, but this seems to be a slightly different version of it. This is a completely different version. This is uh, the, the Mesoamerican pelota, which would range from the southern U.S. down into uh, your Honduras, Guatemala, Belize, and so on. And, yeah, this afternoon I was at the fourth World Cup of uh, Mayan pelota, which in, uh, in Mayan is referred to as uh, Poc and has about three, th- three to 4,000 years of of history in terms mm-hmm. of it being a, a traditional sport for the Maya and the Aztecs and a number of other different, you know, indigenous, um, civilizations prior to the, to the arrival of, uh, you know, of the, of the conquistadors and so on. And back in the day would have been basically set up as between warring factions, uh, um, in, internally. And you know, it depends who you, who you listen to, but, but it ultimately led to some kind of sacrifice. Either the losers or the winners would, would end up being sacrificed. The more contemporary version, this, this rescued version of Mayan Pelota, which, which takes place today, slightly surreally this afternoon for me, took place in a fairly uh, downgraded sports hall uh, in the suburbs of Merida, which is a little bit surreal, with people in full Mayan regalia and drums and right. um, and, and pipes and, and so on. But it was, interestingly, a cultural get to, you know, coming together yeah. of teams from Belize, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras and so on, and really yeah, an absolutely remarkable spectacle. Like, important, I guess, as a visual in terms of what you said about the video for people who are listening, that Belote is basically played between two teams of, of five people, and you've got to get the ball to the other end of the of the pitch to to score points. But you're not allowed to. You're only allowed to, to hit the ball with your torso and thighs, so you can't use yeah. hands or feet. So there are people throwing themselves fairly yeah. violently at the ball to try and get it to. Uh, to move, so it's a, a really, really unusual uh, sport for sure. Yeah, I mean, looking at it, uh, I suspect it's more about keeping the ancient cultures uh, alive and, and a meeting place for you know native, um, you know, native people from that part part of the world. I did see a, a documentary on um on tv about a similar thing the eskimo olympics which is the same thing it's all sorts of often quite violent and very painful um sports uh, connected with um 
you know, with native uh, American or native Eskimos from that part of the world that takes place in uh, Alaska. And this is and it was all about people meeting people from the same traditions and keeping ancient traditions alive. And I suspect this is a similar sort of story. Very, very much so, because, you know, if you are a member of an indigenous community anywhere in the world, really, you are threatened by so many. You know, there are so, so, so there are so many great existential threats that that your community is is at risk of uh, and has been for for hundreds of years. And and anything which brings you together with other people, which other people with which, uh, with with shared histories. There was a lady there today who said that anything mine is in is in her DNA. And so it's a sport, a culinary festival, you know, any kind of memorizing strengthens and, and prevents the the future annihilation of. Uh, these communities which is what has been happening to them since since the conquest yeah absolutely now um having been in uh, washington over the last couple of weeks um a lot of news from latin america there because obviously they have a particular interest in that part of the world one of the i know we've mentioned farc before farc in uh, colombia um which is obviously the uh, the sort of terrorist group but there was a story in the washington post saying that uh, the u.s have now um sort of downgraded them if you like they've removed the terror designation from uh, colombia's farc and instead replaced it with various uh, sort of splinter groups um yeah. w- what's behind all that i mean so much similar stuff actually you know with the ira and real ira and and those kinds of splinter groups and actually there's there still remains a lot of links between northern ireland and, and colombia the farc the revolutionary armed forces of colombia which uh, for 50 you know for five decades were amongst the most feared military militias in in Latin America, but then settled on a on initially an easy peace in around 2016, but then more latterly an uneasy peace as those fighters gave up their weapons and tried to reintegrate into civil society. But then the Colombian government in particular was accused of reneging on those peace accords, and and basically a lot of those fighters are now being picked off one by one in in their communities. The interesting news here is that the Biden administration, as you say, has declassified the, the FARC, so the main organization, but at the same time has newly classified a number of splinter groups um, related to, to the organization. So on the one hand, the question would be, you know, this is the statement would be this is pretty late in the day because it's five years since the peace accord. But of course, it's still pretty early on in in the Biden administration. But the other the flip side of that coin is the fact that this this newly classified classified splinter groups equally by, by the U.S. means that a number of these different um, groups are currently newly stigmatized with, I guess, with, with fear in, in the area. And so adds to the difficulty for the reintegration and, and the laying down of weapons that a lot of these these fighters have um, have done over the course of the last years. It is Colombia a, a, a much safer, uh, civil, quieter um place than it was even 10 years ago absolutely um, does it and i guess in a, sim- in a similar way to northern ireland continuing the uh, the comparison does it continue to, to be on something of a cliff edge where anything could send it over the edge again mm. you know very much so so you know the general hope is that whether it be the the local farc leaders that are now a new political party in the kind of same way as sort of Sinn Féin or the Ivan Duque Colombian government or the US that they continue to to just negotiate and move forward this uneasy alliance so that, you know, we don't go back to the horror of the situation that um, that existed in, in Colombia and led to over 200,000 deaths for yeah. you know, over a two-generation period. 
Indeed. Um, one of the story from, well, it's not strictly speaking Latin America, but it's, uh, it's your part of the world almost, stretching it a wee bit, uh, was Barbados. We, uh, I suspect in the UK, there was lots of coverage of the fact that uh, after 55 years as a monarchy, Barbados uh, cut its ties with Elizabeth II. Now, I know um, Prince Charles was there playing second fiddle to Rihanna, the most famous Barbadian of all time, who, uh, you know, one of the first actions of the uh, newly independent Barbados was to declare Rihanna a national hero. Um, but it, it sort of uh, raises, I didn't even know uh, the Queen was still the monarch of uh, Barbados, but it raises all sorts of questions about um, colonial history of which there's loads in your part of the world yeah absolutely i mean for sure you know barbados and a number of caribbean countries don't come in under the the classification of, of latin america but as you say i think you know the, the colonial history whether it's british spanish french portuguese even dutch in this part of the world uh, obviously in, in north america latin america more broadly but, but a number of caribbean countries continue to be you know even for countries that have declared independence there is still such a such a yoke of colonialism in terms of even these days, whether it be, you know, um, I guess kind of economic links with with old empire that, that still take place. And I was just going over the list of countries. You know, a lot of countries have declared independence from a couple of hundred years ago through to, you know, the most recent being Barbados. But there's still plenty of others that are that continue to be um, you know, designated territories belonging to, to old empire, whether that be the British Virgin Islands, um, the UK, Greenland, which was a, a big story recently when Donald Trump, either seriously or not so seriously tried to buy it um from from denmark you got guadeloupe martinique two very famous caribbean islands that belong to the uh, to the french the montserrat will be one which a lot of your listeners will remember because of the volcanic eruption in montserrat 20 years ago and what took place there and the repercussions that, that had um on, on the uk population and and so on and actually three very little known countries in the top bit of because mostly we think of latin america we think spanish speaking or portuguese speaking but you've actually mm. got at the top tip of South America, you've got Guyana, which, you know, formerly was a British territory, now independent. And you've got French Guyana, which continues to be a French territory and speaks French and has the euro and slightly strangely. And then you've got Suriname, which declared independence from um, uh, from the Netherlands in, in the 70s, but also still could very much continues to be you know, a Dutch speaking country um, and, and the like there. So even those countries that have declared independence and seemingly moved on, actually, you know, the, the the history and the, you know, the tangible after effects of, of European empire still very much are present right across the continent on a day to day basis. Just before, um, and we'll probably leave a couple of uh, the stories that I did read in the Washington Post over to next week, because uh, another sports story, uh, remarkable story, which was passed on to me by uh, Simon Watts, who reports on uh, the EFL for us, is that there's a fan of Blackburn Rovers who's gone uh, viral, if you like, uh, in, uh, in Chile, because he's got um, the Chilean international footballer, Ben uh, Brereton Diaz, he's got a full size, you know, the full head of um, Ben Brereton Diaz uh, tattooed all over his torso. And he's uh, he's gone uh, viral in Chile. I don't know whether you, you're familiar with this. Yeah, look, Martin, that, that's amazing. And, and sometimes I really like that I don't know all of the stories in, in Latin America <laughs> on any given day. And this would be mm. one of those examples. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I thought I'd just put it to you, you know, whether it's... I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it up and, and I'll, I'll no doubt be shocked by by the images. Uh, who was it recently oh, that... that um, you will be shocked. That, ...that tattooed, you know, the entire fo- uh, Brazilian football team 
on their backs, all squad members after winning the Copa America. Uh, yeah, look, there are, you know, we know that sport drives the lunatic fringe from time it to time. It does. It certainly does, and thank goodness for that. Um, thank you ever so much. Keep working on um, your local version of Long John Baldry, because, uh, you know, if we're going to... Well, sadly, they don't do the Sony Radio Awards anymore. Um, but if they did, you know, we'd be a shoe-in with that. Okay, so um, my, task list, my task list for the week is my, my mini orchestra uh, to set up with Long John Baldry and the most obscure sporting stories uh, regionally that I can find for you. Good man, good man. Uh, John, as always, thanks uh, ever so much. We'll talk again next week. Take care. There is uh, John Bonfilio. Uh, joining us from Campeche in Mexico.